Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast. My name is Philip, and I am so excited for what you're about to listen to. These are sermons and presentations by young adults and for young adults. If you're visiting in the area, we hope that you join us for Night Church on Friday nights. Or if you're a regular here in Loma Linda, I hope that you'll share this sermon with someone that you love and care about. Now, for the sermon. Good to see all your faces. Oh my goodness. I feel like the longer I come to Praxis, the more I get to like recognize more familiar faces. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Kelly and I am the intern pastor here at Praxis. And as Phil said, tonight is our last night of the New Testament character se- uh, series called His Grace, My Struggles. And being the only women preacher of this entire series, I thought... Well, what best thing to do for me, for me to do is that I think it's important we talk about women tonight, and especially women and the socio-cultural context in biblical times. And then after knowing about that, how Jesus responds to these women. Tomorrow morning, um, I'll be diving even deeper into more stories of women in the Bible, so if you want to join me um, at Sabbath school tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. in the Praxis room. We would absolutely love to have you there. And tonight, I thought there's no better way to start than the lovely lady at the well. Tonight, my hope for you is that God speaks through me and in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this night that we have together to learn a little bit more about you. I pray that you use me as your vessel, Lord, that we may open up our hearts, our ears, and our minds to what you have um, for us to hear tonight. In your name we pray, amen. So tonight we're going to open our Bibles up to John chapter 4, and we're going to just dive right into it. Um, We're going to do a lot of things tonight. We're going to read a story about a woman who was defined by so many things. She was defined by her gender. She was defined by her race, her socioeconomic status, her morality, her past. And many of us know her as the woman at the well. We'll do a deep dive into the cultural context, the woman's story, and Jesus' response, as well as the response of those around her, including the disciples and the other Samaritans in Samaria. So right now, let's open up John chapter 4, verse 4. And it goes, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. And this one sentence is packed because what we know now is that Jews and Samaritans were not friends. It was kind of like oil and vinegar. And there was a road that Jesus was traveling on, and he was going from Jerusalem to Galilee. But a lot of pious Jews decided, I do not like Samaritans or Samaria. And so what they would do is, instead of just going the short route from Galilee to Jerusalem, or vice versa, they would cut all the way around and do a detour to go around Samaria and take the longer route to avoid the Samaritans. There was a great and deep distrust and dislike because long, long, long time ago, 
the Samaritans decided to marry Gentiles. By marrying Gentiles, that meant that religiously they were impure and racially they were impure. And so during that time, Jewish people looked down upon the Samaritans. But here it says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. The need was not because of travel arrangements or practical necessities, but there were people there that he knew needed to hear him. So reread in John chapter 4, verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Jacob's well is very significant to the people of Samaria because that was where Abram first came when he arrived into Canaan. If you guys remember who Abram is, Abram became Abraham. One of his sons is is uh, Joseph, Jacob, sorry, is Jacob. And Jacob built an altar to, to the Lord there, and that established the connection between Jacob and what has now been known as Jacob's well there. So then in John chapter 4, verse 7, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans or do not use dishes Samaritans have used. Okay, this is really compact and significant. There are so many reasons why Jesus should not be talking to this woman. And she has every reason to feel invisible when she's around men, especially rabbis like Jesus. So we're going to go through the three major reasons why Jesus should not be talking to her. First of all, she's a woman. Women at that time, unfortunately, had no social standing. Women were illiterate, as was part of the culture and custom of that time, and they were seen as property, not people. They were passed along other men and marriages and divorces, and they had no say of their own. They were shunned in public places, and women did not have the right to bear public witness in judicial cases or give evidence in a trial. They were not allowed to learn the Torah publicly or teach the Torah as well. And by tradition, a rabbi, a teacher of the law like Jesus, would not speak with a woman in public, not even his own wife. It was very unusual for a Jewish person of that time to ask a favor, to ask a favor or accept a drink from a Samaritan's cup. Jesus' request genuinely surprised the woman. There's even a possibility as the disciples walk by to go into town that they passed the Samaritan woman. They most likely ignored her completely. Perhaps she even had to step off the road to allow them to walk through or be pushed aside. Number two, she was a Samaritan. And as I said before, Samaritans were deeply despised by the Jewish people. They were, in fact, excluded from God's promises, as Jewish people were teaching that time. And pious Jews would make a point to walk around the entire city just to not be associated with them. They were detestable by Jewish standards. And so that's two things, already two marks against why Jesus should be talking to her. Number three, many scholars have noted that she came to get water at an odd time. And we cannot confirm or deny this completely, but as the story continues, we can see she's a social outcast in that community. 
This woman came for water at a very unusual hour, and she came alone. And I've heard of this before when I've heard of this story. Typically, women came for water earlier in the day, and they would come in groups. And perhaps she had this sudden need to get water, or perhaps she was a social outcast, shunned by other women in the community. But as we learn later in the story, she was married five times. And that makes her morally impure. So that's strike three on her. Yet Jesus spoke to her. And the way he spoke to her was by a question. He asked her for a cup of water. He's not demanding. He's not telling her what to do. He asks her a question. Sociologically speaking, if you ask a question as your first statement to someone, it's almost like you're being beneath the person. It's almost like you're losing your power and giving it to someone else. And this question is provocative. This woman is stating the obvious. She's asking, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. Do you know what you're doing by talking to me? You're breaking so many barriers, and you're asking me for help? Do you want to lose all of your power and privileges as a rabbi? We see Jesus respond in John chapter 4, verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and livestock? So you can see she's really trying to grasp, it, grasp this understanding of living water, but she can't quite get it. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, and she still doesn't get it, she says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Maybe she's thinking, hey, if electricity worked at that time, I would love to have it in my house so I don't have to keep coming back. But here's a fun fact. John's gospel uses the symbolism of water as perhaps the most sophisticated of the evangelist's motifs. The symbol of water is used repeatedly in the gospel of John to tie together significant episodes in the gospel that signal, hey, somebody's coming to faith in the lives of the characters that I'm showing you. It's actually in staunch contrast to the story that was previous to this chapter. So if you go back to chapter 3, John chapter 3, you see that Jesus meets Nicodemus at night. The irony here is that Nicodemus is a well-known teacher. He is high-standing member of the Jewish ruling council. He knows the ins and outs of scripture. He teaches, and yet he cannot understand or fathom the idea that the Messiah is here. He simply does not get it. And yet we see the symbol of living water shown in John's gospel. And it's shown to someone who was actually not educated at all. It's shown to someone who has been ignored for her whole life, who's been marred by societal expectations, cultural standing. Maybe she's even lost hope in having an identity herself. It's shown to someone 
who is meeting Jesus during the day instead of at night. And he speaks of a living water. So John is signaling and showing that someone is coming to faith. Jesus draws her in with this question, and one commentator says, the deeper point is that Jesus brought to her awareness of the relational desert in which she was living. His offer of a spring of water welling up to eternal life must have appeared so wonderfully attractive. Jesus graciously offers her something that she has not comprehended. And despite her perfect question, imperfect question, Jesus and God and flesh responds perfectly. I think about my own life. When in our lives have we allowed society, an experience, a moment, an action, a relationship, a grade, an accident, a time that defined us, someone else's life defined us, leaving us feeling jaded or detached or angry or frustrated and in a relationship deserted from God? When in our lives have we been living in a relational desert from God? Jesus allows her to continue to ask these imperfect questions. Why are you, where is this living water? How can I get it? Where do I get it? And he patiently guides her in a way that only God and flesh could and would. Jesus is speaking to her on her own level. Do you realize this? He is relevant to her within this entire conversation he doesn't talk to her the way he talks to Nicodemus in the last chapter, where he brings out all of these really big and big, big ideas. Instead, Jesus speaks to her on her level and her experiences. This woman could understand what he is saying because he is, she's given handles from her experience. Hey, drawing of water from a well. And so he is shaping and teaching her through her experiences, not the other way around. In fact, Jesus meets us where we are and guides us to see who he is. Let's continue in the story. Jesus told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Here she's changing the topic completely, which I don't blame her at all if someone called me out like that. <laughs> Women, in the most loving way, Jesus replies, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. This is also really, really important to note. That Jesus is saying, hey, you don't have to worship in a place anymore where our ancestors used to always have to worship within a tabernacle, at a mountain, at a location, Jesus is saying, I'm breaking all barriers because I am God in living flesh. And now 
God is not just a place, but it is a person. It is a being that wants to be in relationship with you. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus asks her to bring her husband, right? To which she responds, I don't have a husband. To which he responds, I know, actually. You have five husbands. And back in the day, the rule was you couldn't have more than three husbands. And we don't know why she has five husbands. In fact, other cultures might read this. They see her as a victim. Perhaps she was a victim of careless marriages and divorces passed on from one man to another, or maybe of tragic deaths. We don't really know. But this makes her second class, as we know, in gender and race and morality. And yet Jesus says, I'm not held or bound by these cultural standards. I am here for the people. I am not bound by religious establishment or any establishment that oppresses women or any group of people. Jesus knows her life and all that he's, she's done. I love that he is relevant with her. He attempts to take her beyond that present experience by talking about eternal life and his teaching is shaped by her experience, and she's given handles from her experience to help her grasp this idea of a living water. He, is, he has humanity. He has a naturalness to this. At no point is Jesus being awkward or weird. In fact, this conversation is literally not allowed during that time, and yet Jesus is breaking down every single part of the taboo of talking to her, and he's clearly at ease with her, which frees her to confront her deepest needs. And his knowledge, he knows about her. And he's not only well aware of this woman's lifestyle and her background, but the finer points of the historic relationship between Jews and Samaritans. He has a willingness to acquaint himself with social religious history of his people. He wants to know more about her. And simply put, Jesus loved her. He was prepared to breach age-old conventions to reach her. And later in the story, we see that Jesus reveals himself to her in, in Samaria as the Messiah. He sees equal significance of women before God. And what we see here is that Jesus, in his heart for and in his posture, is that he loves all, including women, and many who have suffered injustices at the hands of culture or the state or of religion. Jesus unashamedly makes his way towards someone who's marginalized, someone who is a woman, and shows us this is an example of how we care for those who are like her. Jesus moves towards her in a way that shows strength and humility. I love what Ellen G. White writes. She says, the plain statement made by Christ to this woman could not have been made to the self-righteous Jews. He had ever, every opportunity to tell Nicodemus, to tell any of the Jews who he was. And yet Christ was far more reserved when he spoke to them. That which had been withheld from the Jews and which the disciples were afterward enjoined to keep secret was revealed first to her. Jesus saw that she would make use of her knowledge in bringing others to share his grace. And the woman represents the working of a practical faith in Christ. 
Hey, I hope you've really enjoyed the first part of this sermon. These sort of productions do require some financial giving, and so if you'd like to take part in reaching more young adults across North America and even the world, would you consider giving on praxisministry.org? And there you can sign up and select Praxis Young Adults to be part of our giving campaign. Hope you enjoy the rest of this sermon. I think sometimes our failures in evangelism or really sharing our love about Christ is often failures in love. One commentator said, nothing is so guaranteed to draw others to share our living water than an awareness that we genuinely care about them. People want to know that we care about them before they care about what we know. In John chapter 4, verse 27, the disciples return, and they're so surprised to see Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asks him, like, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? And we see that the disciples' reaction is astonishment. They're astonished that Jesus is conversing with her, and that shows their conformity to the sexual prejudices of their society. They didn't want to risk the scandal of being involved in speaking with a woman, especially someone like this, and that simply could not be tolerated. Yet Jesus, he doesn't care. And then leaving her water jar in verse 28, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. As the story continues, and as many of us know, the Samaritans came out of town that day. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said, nor have we we believed, nor now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love looking at the Samaritans' reaction because they believed based off of one woman's testimony and one interaction with Jesus. Her life has been completely changed, and because of that one life, it changed her city. Despite her possible unpopularity within her town due to her past, they're still moved to investigate. And the Samaritan people, they see Jesus, they hear him, and they believe because for centuries they've been told that they were shut out from God's mercy, that they were second-class people in the eyes of the Jewish leadership down in Jerusalem. So that's how God saw them too. And yet now they're hearing the excluded are now included. The circle of God's purpose embraced them too. I love that Jesus meets us where we are and guides us to see who he is. He could have revealed himself to anyone else, anyone else who had the backstory of who the Messiah was, yet he reveals himself to the least and to the lowest because that's how Jesus works. Jesus loved Nicodemus, the great and high leader of the Jewish council and the educated And he loved the Samaritan woman, the outcast and the uneducated. 
He knows we need him, and he wants to be in relationship with me and you, no matter what. No matter your past, no matter an instance, an accident, a night, a mistake, a moment, our social economic standing, our career. In fact, I see myself in the woman at the well, someone who felt so incredibly broken by societal and religious norms, someone who never thought that I would ever be worthy to be a leader in the church. There's a story that I've always kind of held back and I've been nervous to share, but today I spoke to Phil and he kind of encouraged me, if you feel the spirit move, let it move. When I was 18, I was sexually assaulted and it was a very traumatic event. And it made me think, this, there's no way the church could ever see me as someone who would lead. There's no way that someone who is broken, someone who's had their innocence taken away, someone who maybe defined themselves by that one night, by that one mistake, that wasn't my fault as a reason why I could never be a part of the church, maybe never even a leader, maybe someone who would just come and slide in and sit in the back and hear the music and be moved by it and know there's never going to be a place for me in leadership. And yet God said, no, I see you as more than that. I see you as someone who has a heart to serve. And so he started me small as a small group leader, he started me in a church that was of a hundred people and guided me slowly. He gave me a heart of humility so that I could serve throughout time. I look back to that broken past self and I think, man, who told me that I could never lead? Who told me that I could never be a part of God's family and God's kingdom? Who told me that I would never be a part and could never be a pastor and could never speak to other women in this congregation? And I'm so glad that I continue to walk in the feet of Jesus, knowing that he would meet me where I was, that he would guide me slowly, and that he would remind me that, hey, you can heal because your identity is not set in a moment in a person, in a career, it is set in me. I look now and I see my amazing husband who has continued to help me to heal, to love again, and to heal so much of the fears that I've had of thinking I could never love someone again. And that is totally untrue. And I love that God brings people and moments into our lives to reveal who he really is. God showed who he was to that woman that day. He showed her, you are enough. You're not defined by what happened to you. And sometimes it's not even our faults. You're not boiled down to one mistake or one action. In fact, you are sanctified and you are whole and you are in me, in Christ alone. Don't let anyone make you think otherwise. So what is our reaction to this whole story? What would it look like to be a church who supports women, to those who are marginalized, to those who are broken? 
How do we reflect Jesus' view of women into our society today? And women, how can we support each other? I love that we're having a women's group this, this summer with Chanel and Victoria and Kayla. They're doing a group that is going to basically unpack sexual purity, right? It's going to be so good of purity culture and, and mental health. And men, how can you honor women? What are ways that you can not maybe objectify women for who they are and not judge them? What are practical ways to support them in the church? Easy ways of just chivalry, but also listening to, to other women who are around you. Speaking life into people who are around you. Words of hope, simple acts of kindness. I think there's so many things that we can do as a community here. I think there's so much more that, gosh, I wish I had more time to talk about. I mean, even this week, I had a friend tell me that she felt unsafe just walking to her car. I've had friends tell me of instances where they were literally stalked at Target and almost kidnapped. And this doesn't stop, it continues. And as a woman in today's society, it is hard to be a woman. But as a community, it's not hard to support each other. So my encouragement for you tonight is to reflect Jesus' view, to be able to see people not for what they look like, but for what our hearts are for, to love each other, to understand each other. I'm going to invite the band up. And one last thing is um, there's a book that I read that really helped me kind of dive deep into women in the church. It's called Half the Church by Carolyn Custis James. Half the Church talks about how women comprise of at least half of the world and usually more than half the church. And so often Christian teaching to women fails to talk about what we can do in, in, in terms of roles of women in the church. In fact, a lot of the stories that we hear about shut women out from contributing to God's kingdom. So this book, Half the Church, talks about how the Bible contains the highest possible view of women and invests women's lives with cosmic significance, regardless of your age, your stage of life, your social status, or your culture. It talks about transformative themes in which the Bible presents to women that raise the bar for women and call them to join their brothers in advancing God's gracious kingdom on earth. I don't know what your experiences are or why you're here tonight, but I hope that you know that you are seen by God, that you are loved by God, that not a single part of you is not enough, but that you are worthy. So right now, I'm gonna actually invite all the women in this room to stand, and I wanna do a special blessing over you. So if you're a woman or you identify as a female, I invite you to stand with me and this is a blessing and a prayer for women who may have not felt seen in their lives or maybe who want to support women who have not felt seen. And right now I'm also going to invite men to stand as well. Because men, this isn't about excluding you, but in fact it's about including you into the conversation of how we as a community can do better. Be better in including others, being better and showing who Jesus is, showing that Jesus meets us where we are so we can show others 
that we can meet them where they are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have continued to show us an abundant amount of grace and understanding. You know our past, you know our present, and you know our future, and yet you continue to pursue us and to love us and to walk with us in our lives. God, I don't know why a lot of us are here tonight, but whatever the reason is, I just pray that you touch their hearts. Help them to know that they are seen by you. I know a lot of women go through so many experiences and we're defined by so many expectations, so many things that happen in our lives, but God, I just pray that you overwhelm us with your love, that you show us that we are your daughters and for men, we, we are your sons, Lord. We are your children. And that you love us, which is the most important thing of all. Thank you for meeting us where we are. And I pray that as a community, we will do better to strive to be inclusive towards women and towards those who are marginalized in this community and in this society. Thank you for all that you've done for us, for reaching out to that woman at the well, and for each of us, we are all women at the well. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, I'm so glad that you listened to the Night Church podcast sermon today. I know that God is going to do great things in your life. Whatever you felt and heard from the Lord through this sermon, I hope that you would share this with someone that you love and care about and that you would consider even joining us one Friday evening. Blessings to you and hope you get to listen to the next one coming up soon.